You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at F&B Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. And Wayne, we haven't spoken since Bob Van Dyke uh, fell yes. on his sword or, or was pushed. And I noticed Pete Filion, um I didn't listen to the whole interview, but he had an interview with yeah. Alec Hogg, and he said that he... he he didn't put it like this, but I mean, he, he was fairly glad that Bob Van Dyke had gone because he claimed that he had destroyed 40% of shareholder value. What's your view on this one? It's a very interesting topic, this, yes. Okay, so my view is Bob Van Dyke, but it wasn't just Bob Van Dyke, it's been the whole of NASPERS. Yes. So far, have made one good decision. And obviously, that was to buy Tencent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then secondly, they've made some reasonable decisions in that they have sold quite a few businesses over the years where they made a decent return on the business. So they've sold off businesses. They've, they've, they've got out of some business lines and their other partners have bought out businesses from them where they've made a decent return not a killer return but a decent return so call it 15 to 20 to 25 percent internal rate of return so that's not bad and then they've made the truly big ones which is the one the markets talk about and it's the one that Pitt has spoken about they've invested multiples billions many many man, hundreds of billions Yes. in businesses that have not yet proven their worth. I'm not saying they won't prove their worth at some stage into the future. I'm quite confident, except for one, that they will actually, you know, prove their worth, but it's still early days. In other words, they are, they are barely break even or a couple of years and a couple more billion away from break even. Okay, no, so just is, at, no, no, let me just go back here. You said that they, they will um, break even and maybe start, start to make a profit, but it's a long time. I mean, 10 cent well, right, I think right they from will. the day. I think they will, but that's which the, is the one you the don't like. Out. Which is the one you don't like. I don't like the, I don't like the food delivery. Ah, that's huge. That's the one I think, and it's huge. So that's the one. I wouldn't say I don't like it. That's the one. I'm uncertain about whether they will reap the benefits of their investments. So when you look at NASPAS, NASPAS, NASPAS process consists of obviously Tencent. Okay. Mm. Then they have the food delivery business. Then they have the e-commerce, which is takealot.com, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then they have the payments systems. And then they have the edutech, uh, you know, educational technology systems. Now, the, the, the commercial, the e-commerce business, I think, is break-even already. The payments business and I think the edu- edutech business, I think they stated it will be break-even in the next year or two. So it's quite close to break-even. But, of course, break-even break doesn't mean it's a good business when you've sunk many billions into it. But at least it's a, they, those two businesses are approaching the end of their cash guzzling phase. In other words, the beginning of the J curve. Yes. But food delivery, 
I'm just not sure of. This is a cutthroat business with very small margins, with plenty of competition, and you have got to get volume through this business to make money. So I think they were fortunate in that they were outbid. When was it? Two years ago? I think the company's um, name was... What was the, the name of the company where, where they were going to spend billions it was on eat. it? Uh, just I Eat. It was Eat, wasn't it? Just Eat. Just Eat, something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think they'll look back and be say, oh, we were lucky Thank goodness. not to have paid that price for that business. Yeah. So I will, I will not be... I will not say what Peter said, that they've wasted that money. 40%. I would just say the jury the jury is out. And that's the market. And that's what the market's telling you, is that the market puts these businesses at a discount to 10 cent. And we also know, forget about the discount for this minute, we also know that they've used a significant proportion of the dividend cash flow that they got from 10 cent to put into these businesses. Okay. So they've tried to do a few things. Number one, they did the whole process story to try and unlock value. Now, I never thought Failure. that would unlock value. Yeah, I would never thought that would unlock value. All it does is put you on a different stock market with maybe a slightly different shareholder profile. But that move in itself doesn't unlock value. Okay, then they, then they said... Right, we are going to do massive share buybacks, huge share buybacks. Now, that does unlock value, but not the discount. Share buybacks just means there's proportionately more buyers than what there were going to be. So, therefore, the price should go up because there are more buyers in the market than what there were before they started buying back shares. Right. But it in itself does not unlock value. It does enhance earnings per share and it enhances net asset value per share, but it doesn't unlock the discount per se. Then they said we're going to undo this cross-holding structure between NASPARS and PROCESS, also in the effort to unlock value, and it may unlock a little bit of value at some stage, but the only way you unlock value is those non-10 cent businesses become highly profitable and the market recognizes that either in the NASPAS stroke process share price or they become highly profitable and they either list them themselves or sell it. Then you get value unlocks. In other words, the only way to unlock value is all the money that they've put into these other four little pots become highly successful and highly profitable businesses in their own right. There's no other way to unlock value. Just going back to the food delivery business the barriers to entry are so low they are so, so low i mean i could say i mean I, I phoned my daughter a couple of years ago and i said look you live in parkhurst and it's a it's quite an affluent community there why don't you get five or six kids on on motorcycles or, or bicycles and go to all the local popular restaurants and say we'll, yeah. deli we'll, we'll deliver for you and immediately people like that because it's a local business it's a local girl and um they're they're, yeah. they're they're willing to pay and they can they can undercut i mean that is is something that major businesses don't have a problem with uh, because there is a huge yeah. barrier to entry but food delivery i don't know wayne so quick 
it is easy to get into. And it's it's low capex. Mm, Exactly. Because you as the owner of that, the person driving the delivery motorbike or the car, it's their delivery bike, their car, They or they lease it from you, and they put up the capex. So it's it's actually it's almost like it's almost like uh, uh, what's that B Sky B? No, no, that's that's cell phone. That's a TV. What's the thing? <laughs> well, the, the 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 thing where you get a room where you rent a room or something. Airbnb, you mean? Airbnb, yeah, Airbnb. It's like that. Uh, it's like Uber. You don't have to own the hotel room or the car. You just got to provide the service. Yeah. And the infrastructure. The platform. So there's very yeah. low in very low the platform. There's very low barriers to entry in this business. Man, I hope it look as far as I can make out, the end idea with food delivery is that there is this massive infrastructure that works three, four hours a day. You know, it works a little bit at lunchtime and then the yeah, truly it's, busy it's time. It's six is till from, nine. It, it's six it's to five, eight. six till nine, six let's to face eight. it. Yeah. At night. Yeah. So that so as far as I understand it is that this infrastructure sits idle for seventy percent of the day. If you can now start delivering other things in that seventy percent of the day, that's when you make money. So you become a logistics company. Yes. Now the only problem with that, I mean, uh, as you were talking about a bit off air there, I do a lot of spares. I buy a lot of space from all over the place. Mm. And the logistics firms that deliver to me, FedEx, DHL, et cetera, et cetera, these companies are hugely efficient. I mean, they've been doing this for years. They are super efficient. So if you want to get, and I mean, just here in South Africa, the logistics company, Supergroup, Invest, these companies are very efficient. So you want to try and compete with them. So as I said, that's the only part of the business that 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 I have some doubts. The other ones should actually work. I mean, they've got traction. They're big businesses. You know, uh, of course, Naspers has got uh, he's got some other very small holdings in South Africa that it's not in process, but it's small. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. I think it's Cape Town Brim to CTP or something like that. Let's talk about uh, macro now, if we can, because uh, South African mm. inflation numbers came out today. They ticked up slightly. I mean, why do we talk about it? 47 to 4.8%. Uh, it doesn't matter. There's a Saab decision uh, coming up on interest rates, and the yeah. general consensus is that interest rates will remain unchanged. The U.S. Federal Reserve will announce its decision Same, yeah. uh, tonight. But answer me tonight, this, yeah. uh, Wayne, because I've asked a couple of economists, and you, 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 you're, you're a macroeconomist at heart, or you've got a good macro brain. If yeah. the oil uh, price yeah. goes up, which it, and it has been going up, mm. not dramatically, but you know, disturbingly over the last two and a half to, th- yeah. to three months, it's, you know, it went above $95 a barrel for Brent crude yesterday. Yeah. That's an inelastic demand, isn't it? If you've got a car, which you have, several cars, you have to drive that car. You don't just suddenly say, well, the petrol price has gone up, so I'm going to stay at home with the wife. No, you don't do that. So it's inelastic demand. It's it's inelastic, and it's also not just you and I filling up our motor cars. Mm. It's also the delivery of goods and services. Precisely. Affected by that. So it's inelastic across the economy. So what what happens is... yes. Uh, just, it just, puts just, inflation just, pressure. Yeah, just just hear me out here. Yes, 
Yeah. According to the uh, according to the way that uh, CPI inflation is calculated. But on the other hand, I've always said this to economists, and they've never come up with a satisfactory answer to me. If you have an inelastic demand, you still have to pay the price as the price goes up. Therefore, that yeah. reduces the uh, purchasing power in your pocket. So you can't yep. spend it on other things. So actually, in a perverse way, it's deflationary because you well, can't spend neutral. on other things. What do you think? It's neutral because if you got 100 rand and petrol cost you 10 yeah. and you used to spend 90, now petrol costs you 15, you know, you spend 85. So the inflation pressure comes down in the other part. But it doesn't push the prices of the other goods up. That's where the point I'm trying to make here. So it actually doesn't... Overall... Yeah. yeah. You think it's neutral? There's not excess demand. You see, true inflation... Now, let's maybe talk a little bit theory here. True inflation is excess demand. Right. In other words, people are rich. They're making buckets of money. They're borrowing money. Price isn't an issue. Then you get, I don't know what the right terminology is, let's call it inflicted inflation, where you've got no option. You are poor, you are broke, your business isn't doing well, you haven't got a salary increase, you can't borrow any more money because interest rates are high, (laughs) but you still got to pay for electricity at a higher price, you still got to pay rates and taxes at a higher price, you still got to pay your water at a higher price, and you've got to buy your petrol at a higher price, and all the other administered prices, specifically in South Africa. We, have much, we must have one of the highest, let's call it administered prices basket in the world. Yes. Because there's no excess demand in South Africa, that is for sure, but inflation went up, it's falling now, but it's gone up on the back of Administered prices. prices and second and secondly, global prices because the rand weakens. You pay the global price for food, whether it's grown in Pretoria or grown in in Denmark. You know, because the local guys, if the international price goes up, the local guys are going to push their prices up because otherwise they could just export it at a higher price. You know, so we pay the international there's no protection on our food here in South Africa. You know, so so yeah, we you know we in a very funny, difficult situation here with a highly volatile currency and this massive amount of administered prices that we have in South Africa. But yes, the and now just more technical, a little bit more technical now. All right. Oil, petrol, petrol in the inflation basket is not as big as what some people think. Um, in other words, food, food, and what's called housing equivalent inflation. Uh, a housing. Uh, uh, you mean uh, rent and mortgages and things? Rent, yeah. rent and mortgages and food are significantly higher than what oil is. I mean, those two mm. combined must be thirty percent, forty percent, something like that of inflation. So, if interest rates stay on hold, the rental equivalent year-on-year year starts to fall because you, you will be start measuring off a base that's increasing, but your current data is staying flat. So that falls, and of course, food inflation is actually falling, certainly at the, at the wholesale level. So those are more important than oil, but 
if there's one reason why our Reserve Bank and the Fed's ups interest rates, it will be because of oil. Yeah. Oil's, oil's off a little today, thank goodness. It's 93 a barrel instead of 95. But, I mean, that's one day. All right. Well, anyway, the, the, the oil price is, is nothing to do with us. It's to do with people in Saudi Arabia sitting there and saying, how much do we need yeah. to, um, and I, and to, I think to spend will, on football teams? And, and, mm. and I don't understand this because they've shot themselves once in the foot already, and you would think they would learn. When they up that fuel price massively in 73 on the back of the Yom Kippur war and that they actually long-term shot themselves in the foot because oil became, oil came, what, what oil went from $1 to $15, you know, literally in a very short space of time and the world just went off oil. The amount of, the amount of fossil fuel used per unit of output, and obviously the whole green movement is also in this, is a factor in this, but the amount of oil used per output of production, whether that's a motor car or what you make or how you live or whatever, however you want to measure it, is probably one-tenth, if not one-twentieth of what it was in the early 70s. Well, the early 70s was a very oil... strange time for the, the United Kingdom, yeah. for example. They went, because of that... Um, uh, because of that price hike, or rather, uh, you know, the price hike in, in oil, because of that, the UK went on to a three-day week because they couldn't afford to keep factories yeah. open, etc. Et it was yeah. an extraordinary time. But also, the world, the world went nuclear, the world went hydro. A significant proportion of electricity was used in oil, use, was produced by oil-burning furnaces in the 60s and 70s mm. because oil was cheap. So they went to coal, they went hydro, they went nuclear they went wind you know we think wind is only taking off now and when i say now i mean let's say the last three or four years i toured america in 1999 through the through the southern states and there were plenty of windmills up already then eh? plenty yeah. not as much as now obviously but there were a lot eh? so so what i'm saying now is their biggest threat and it's and it's and it's inevitable and it's unstoppable. Their biggest threat is electric vehicles. And by pushing this price up, it's just going to hasten the move to electric. Mm. Just so depends I, I where the electricity the, comes from. Shooting, yeah, but the electricity is not going to come from oil fired power stations, eh? No, it's not. It's, 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 it's a dying industry. Not coming from oil. Yeah. So they're just hastening their own death. By, by artificially, but I suppose they say make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, I, and and of course what they've done, everyone, and and now Russia is maybe the worst in the in the in the bas in this basket. But what they've done is they have are so dependent, their whole economies swivel around an oil price over eighty. They, you know, literally, they cannot survive with an oil price lower than that for a sustained time period. So it's all the investments they've made. Russia, it's the war in the Ukraine. You know, Saudi Arabia, for example, I don't think it costs them more than $8 to produce a barrel out the ground, the physical cost of getting it out the ground. 
but then the government and the country and everything else and all of their investments and all of their gratuities to the people and all of their tax haven statuses just chows up that rest of that money to 80. So literally they would go bankrupt in a very short time period at, let's say, a sustained $50 a barrel. Well, good luck. And they've, had a, 80, they, they, 80, they've 80, had a good time and they're having a good time now. They've got a $10, um, a $10 yeah, margin, which in percentage terms is huge. Yeah, it's huge. Ultimately, ultimately, they're just hastening their own demise by doing this. You know, okay. if I go fill up my car, if I go fill up my, my, my car yeah. and I pay 1,200 rand a tank, I don't feel too bad, but when it's about 1,600 rand a tank, hmm. then you just say, no, damn it, man. Maybe I must look at the electric car. I'm not going to swap to electric, not because I'm against electric. I just don't think you're getting value for money. I don't think you can do it in South Africa because you, there's nowhere for you to plug it in. You can't charge it, John. Exactly. Okay, wait, let's stop talking about that now because yeah. when I get onto cars and oil, then you go off on various tangents. I want to talk about the world's biggest rugby fan. She must be in heaven at the moment. Yes. She must be. She must be almost un, un, unplayable. Uh, I mean, obviously, she has a great life living with Wayne McCurry, but on the other hand, with the Rugby World Cup at the same time, she must be jumping through hoops. Absolutely loving it. And when we watched play Scotland, she was a little bit apprehensive. Then when we watched Romania, we just thought, no, it was a little bit too much. We just scored 10 tries. 76 nil, it was boring. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit boring, but of course, Saturday night is approaching with the Ireland game. It's going to be huge. You'll still win, of course, but not quite as easily. Yeah. So how do you plan that sort of thing, food wise? I mean, it's it's a nine o'clock game. We've got a we've got a very special thing planned for Saturday. Okay, go on. Some some uh, the friends of mine who are. I mean, I've known I've known them since I was a young young man when I was. It was a long time ago. I've known them since nineteen years, since I was nineteen, which is a hell of a long time ago. Yeah, and I knew them in Maritzburg. I knew them in Maritzburg, but they moved up to just north of Pretoria, a, a game reserve, nature reserve called Sondela. They live there now, mm. so we see them. Often, right. So they coming down. They're coming down to stay with us on the Saturday night, and we're going to a local restaurant, which is one of my favourites, and we've booked a table in their like casual bar area, not actually in the restaurant, but they got tables in the casual bar area. Yeah. But the big thing is they got big screen TVs there. So you're gonna watch the match while so you're eating. Watch the match. Well, we'll eat before the match, then we'll watch the match. Okay. And this place has got excellent, excellent food. You can have the normal sort of standard grills, you know, the steak or whatever, but they've got lovely sushi as well. They've got a crispy, crispy rock shrimp tempura roll thing. But but it is delicious. I mean, it is truly nice. And then they've also got a, a, a salmon dish where I think they actually put breadcrumbs, those those uh, sort of tempura panko breadcrumbs on the outside, and they deep fry it very briefly. So the sushi on the inside is still cold, 
but the outside is warm and crispy. It's actually very, very nice. So I often, I often don't have the steak there and actually have sushi there. It's okay, answer nice. me this, Wayne McCurry. What happens if there's um, a suddenly load shedding and you're sitting there, you've had your meal, the match is just about to start and the electricity goes off. Have you got a backup plan? No, they've got, no, this, uh, this, this uh, restaurant, the shopping centre's got a backup plan there. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, we had terrible load shedding last week and the week before and all of a sudden on Monday it's stage one again. Mm. I mean, the lights in, in my garage here, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday today, the lights haven't gone out once during working hours. Very good. Congratulations. We had load shedding from 6 to 8 in the morning and then from 5 to 6 at night time or whatever. But all of a sudden, there's significantly less load shedding. I mean, it could come back next week. Who actually knows with Eskim? No one knows, Wayne. Thank you very much for your time, as always, on a Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. Next week, Wayne, I'm going to talk to you about a very thought-provoking program on Netflix, documentary series called Live to 100, The Secrets of the Blue Zones. Now, I don't know if you want to live to 100. I certainly don't want to live to 100, especially as I feel as I, as I do now when I'm not even close to 100. But the point is I want to tell you about it, but we'll do that next week. Wayne McCurry, as I said, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investment. And that was Wayne on Wednesday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.